If you're someone who feels things deeply and often become overwhelmed by the world around you, then you might be a highly sensitive person or an HSP. In this episode, we'll discuss what it means to be an HSP, the challenges that come with it, and holistic strategies to help manage the overwhelm that can come with being highly sensitive. Join us as we dive into the world of highly sensitive people and learn how to empower and thrive as an HSP. This is Holistic Counseling, the podcast for mental health therapists who want to deepen their knowledge of holistic modalities and build their practice with confidence. I'm your host, Chris McDonald, licensed therapist. I am so glad you're here for the journey. Welcome to today's episode of the Holistic Counseling Podcast. Are you highly sensitive or do you have clients who are? Maybe you have heard the term highly sensitive person and aren't quite sure if you are one. Today, you'll learn more about what it means to be an HSP or highly sensitive person and what are some holistic tools and practices that can help with emotional regulation and help you learn to embrace it. Today's guest is Erica Emmanuel Belanger. She is a yoga teacher, somatic coach, and host of On and Off Your Mat podcast. For the last eight years, Erica has helped sensitive women let go of overwhelm and overthinking by learning to manage their thoughts, feel their feelings, and heal their nervous system through mind-body-spirit practices. Welcome to the podcast, Erica. Thank you so much for having me today. Yeah, I'm so excited for you to be here. So can you share more about yourself and your work? Yeah, of course. I used to be a yoga teacher. I'm still a yoga teacher, but I started in this as a yoga teacher. And I found that I was missing time between the inhale, lift your arms up and exhale, fold over your legs to say all the things I wanted to say and to teach all the things I wanted to teach. So I added coaching to my services. So I had more time with clients because I, from my own journey of being highly sensitive, I was seeing a lot of suffering in that and a lot of struggle around it. And when you don't understand why life is so difficult for you, you get into the cycle of self-blame and like bullying yourself into change. And then nothing really productive happens from there. And so I wanted to have time to really be able to help women understand how their system is functioning and that overwhelm and the stress they experience is a result and not a personality trait or like their sensitivity is not a flawed part of who they are. So they can learn to embrace it, but also kind of widen their capacity and their tolerance for the world (laughs) and like the world we live in can be intense, right? So this is the work I do now, uh, a mix of yoga and coaching specifically for highly sensitive women to help them, as you said in your intro, with all the things that sensitive people struggle with. So they live a just happier life, a bit more easeful and where they can feel calm and confident and in control. So how did you know that you were more highly sensitive? Oh, there was so many clues, although it took me a long time to even know that label existed. And like, that was a thing. There was clues like very young, like sensitivity from like sensory overwhelm, like something as simple as like the commercials on the TV, they felt like they were yelling at me. You know, like when my parents would watch TV, I'd be like, oh my God, this is so intense. Why is it so loud? And I would like ask them to mute the TV and they'd be like, really? Why? Like they didn't feel the (laughs) aggression that I was feeling, you know? So that's like one tiny example from childhood, but there were so many ways through my life, like 
just being overly aware of other people's emotion and what they're experiencing and kind of taking this on because I was lacking the boundary of like, this is yours and this is mine. And like, we're keeping that separate, like being really permeable to other people's emotion that has really followed me for years in my marriage and in, you know, my relationship with my parents. And so those are the two biggest thing that I noticed, but there was also this cycle very common of like overstimulation and then kind of a collapse energy of like, I was feeling lazy. I was coming home from work at that time, being a school teacher, coming home from work and like collapse on the couch for hours. There was nothing I could really do in my evening because I didn't have any, anything left to give. And I felt like there was something wrong with me. I was lazy. I was, you know, everybody else were going out or making dinner, able to do all these things. So that was another signal. Like I'm not functioning the way other people function. This seems to be very difficult for me. And I ended up burning out and having to leave school teaching. So those were all little piece that kind of came in together that build into this sensitivity leads to like a chronic stress and overwhelm illness. And then it goes back into blame and into like, I am, something is wrong with me in a way I am too much emotionally. Like people receive you, like you're too intense and you're too sensitive, like as in, in a negative way, right? Like you react emotionally too much. And the other way you feel like not enough at the same time, like you can't keep up with the world. You can't keep up with everything that's going on. So it's a weird back and forth between feeling too much and feeling not enough. Yeah. I'm just trying to think about that. So too much and not enough. So yeah. Where does that leave you? That usually leaves you not feeling great about yourself. I wonder with the overwhelm you mentioned too. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Most highly sensitive people really feel trouble like with their own self-worth and like self-love and self-care because they feel like something is wrong with them. Like we're always in that cycle of like something is wrong with me. I'm going to repress my emotion to be not so intense. And then that leads you into like explosion later down the line because repressing only works for a certain amount of time, right? Like it never (laughs) works forever. (laughs) So there's like the coping mechanism that come are not helpful in the long run and they have negative consequences in your life. And overwhelm is one of those things that also brings like the self doubt of like, I am worthy and I am good enough because you don't see anybody else around you or most people around you feeling that overwhelm that comes from many sources, whether it's sensory, it's your own thoughts, it's your own physical sensations that are overwhelming you. Like there's so many things that come in and that overwhelm makes you feel like you're failing at everything. You can't keep up again, right? There's this. And when you start to understand that overwhelm is just a natural response from your nervous system to stress that's been unaddressed, then you start to take a step back and be like, oh, okay, actually my system is functioning just right. Like my body is doing exactly what it's supposed to do. It's moving me into a rest state that is overwhelmed because I'm not taking actions to actually rest. (laughs) And I'm pushing through my sensitivity and forcing myself to do all the things that everybody else is doing, detaching from my own needs. And then my body pulls a plug and it's like, nah, we're done. You go rest. (laughs) I love that description. (laughs) 
Yeah. When you start to understand that you feel a little bit better and you're like, okay, this is not a flaw. This is not a personality trait. This is like a beautiful way my system is protecting me. And then you can start to move from there and make different choices. If you want to widen your tolerance, if you want to feel more anchored more grounded, more calm, more confident. I know you said tolerance too. So it makes me think of the window of tolerance too. That's I guess. exactly what I'm talking about without <laughs> you, saying the words in I, case I your know. listeners didn't know about it. <laughs> so yeah. Can you, you share a little bit more about that? Yeah, of course. So the window of tolerance is this area in your nervous system state where you are functioning mostly optimally. You're able to respond instead of react in a fight or flight or react in a collapse. You're able to go back and forth between what life throws at you and respond accordingly. And then you go back to the state of feeling safe, connected, trusting, open-hearted, right? So within the different state of the vagus nerve or the nervous system, you're able to regulate yourself and stay into this kind of zone that we call the window of tolerance, where you're able to quote unquote, tolerate what happens around you and in you. So you're resourced enough to deal with it in like simple way. Yeah, yeah. I think that's important. Resourced enough to deal with it. And and as therapists too, the, we often try to help clients increase that window of tolerance so that they're less reactive. So, But I'm guessing for highly sensitive people, that can be a struggle to open that window more. I mean, it's not so much a struggle to open the window is that because you're sensitive, your window is smaller to start with. Gotcha. This is where the struggle is. Because being sensitive means that your nervous system is more sensitive than average people to the physical input, the sensory input, the social input you receive. So you more easily go into stress response. You more easily then go into overwhelm, into the collapse response. And because that window is a little smaller, it might feel like it's harder to widen it to catch up with other people because you're, you might feel like you're behind in a sense. You're not really behind. It's just that that window is a little shorter. You react more intensely, more easily, and more quickly than average people that are not sensitive. But over time, you can grow your window as big as anybody else and bigger. There's no limit, really. Can you be sensitive in some areas as a highly sensitive person and not others? Yeah, everybody is really different into what affects them. Uh, some people are more sensitive, like sensory based, right? So like light or sound or smell or touch are really disrupting for their system. For other people, that's not really the issue. The issue is more social. It's more like people pleasing and meeting expectations and catching up with or staying up with the rhythm of everybody else. So it's like this pressure that's coming from your socialization, your family, your culture, your work, your partner, like this is what's really difficult because it's coming from a place of like needing to be accepted, to belong, to be loved. Right. So depending on the source and depending on your own, you know, story, <laughs> you will have different aspects of yourself that are more or less sensitive. If you grew up in chaos or if you grew up with parents that were not emotionally available, it's going to create two different branches. See what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Now I can see that. And what I wonder too, because I took your little quiz online, I didn't get the result yet. <laughs> but um, She does have a quiz to see how highly sensitive you are. But some of the questions were kind of surprising to me too. Because the one about hunger, hunger uh -huh. cues, so you can be more highly sensitive to hunger. Is that true? Yeah. So the idea is that when you're sensitive to your sensory input, we have the five senses that are like the common one we talk about, right? Your sight, your taste, your touch, 
your hearing and your smell, but there's also like a sense of like that comes from inside. That's your interoception. And that sense for sensitive people picking up on the cues of hunger, thirst, pain, hormonal changes, like these things, we feel them more intensely than other people, meaning we're more sensitive to our blood sugar level. So if you are hungry as a sensitive person, chances are you get hangry quickly, more quickly than people around you. Like it's more, you're more affected with the effect of having low blood sugar or not being hungry. And like with a cascade of stress response that that creates in your body. Because your level of stress is already up, just the fact of being hungry and the signal that that sends about survival kind of pushes you over the edge. Where someone where their window of tolerance is bigger and they're not in a chronic state of stress, the signal of hunger is just going to be like, okay, I need to eat soon. And it doesn't really ripple into anything more. Does that make sense? Yeah. Thank you for helping me understand myself better. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I've always thought something's wrong with me too. I was like, I feel intense hunger signals. I like, I have to eat three meals a day or I'm just a mess and it affects Mm -hmm. my mood. And my husband's just like, he can go eight hours of that. I'm like, how do you do that? I just can't. Yeah. No, me neither. Like if I don't pay attention to my hunger signals, either I get really irritable or I can't focus and I can't think straight. And like, it's almost taking over and not in the sense of like, I'm being obsessive about food, although I have a history of like eating disorder growing up, but not in that same sense, in the sense of like, there's no mental space to continue to do the things normally. Like my system is like sounding an alarm. Like we need to take care of this before we can continue. Does that count for like, I guess, as far as interoception, like feeling hot or cold, like being more sensitive? Sensitive to temperature. Yeah. I am also like I moved away. I grew up in Montreal, Canada and the weather, the winter was like painful, like literally physically painful for me. And I moved away and I live in the tropic now. (laughs) That sounds wonderful. And like, I'll tell listeners where you are right now. I live in Costa Rica, like two blocks away from the beach. And I enjoy this. It was like 104 this morning when I checked. Very, you know, very warm weather. And this feels a lot better for my body, but I also have to be careful. Like I'll burn from the sun quite easily, right? There's always like... (laughs) It sounds like a lot just trying to find that equal balance of your equilibrium and and working on those areas. If if you're someone doesn't have sensitivity in every area, because I've heard people like what you mentioned socially, like in crowds that some people get overwhelmed and have difficulty in crowded spaces, but that never bothered me. So I I didn't think I was highly sensitive, but that's just one area that doesn't. But I guess there's other areas. So exactly. So I guess this isn't black and white as I thought. I mean, it's, you can see it as a spectrum, right? Like there's different aspects to it. And a bit like if you look at the autism spectrum, like it's not so much a right to left, it's kind of a more different areas, right? And you you can have characteristic in one areas and more in the other, and it kind of comes together to create a total. It's kind of the same with sensitivity. So when you work with women, do you try to find what areas they need to work most on? Yeah, I think the first step is always awareness and for themselves too, to realize what are the sources of their overwhelm? Because if you don't know the source, then how are you going to act on supporting yourself accordingly instead of just kind of doing a bit of everything? You're going to be more successful if you focus on the areas that you need more support in, right? Yeah. Do you feel like you're not where you thought you'd be at this age? Do you feel like you've missed your chance for true happiness? Do you want more out of life? 
Hi, I'm Molly, and I am the host of I Am This Age, the podcast proving it's never too late, you're never too old, so go do that thing you're always talking about. I interview people who have made big changes after 40, where we get deep into the fears and insecurities felt when they made their change, how they navigated through them, and how you can too. Subscribe to I Am This Age wherever you get your podcasts, and join us every other Monday for the inspiration you need to go do that thing you've always been talking about. So what about emotionally? Are I guess I'm wondering if highly sensitive people are more prone to anxiety. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or is it other Just, emotions? That- I mean, there's a lot of emotions that come from your sensitivity. To start with, you're going to react more strongly emotionally because of yet yeah, that shorter, smaller window of tolerance and your tendency to be in chronic stress state. You're going to be more sensitive to the sensation of the emotions in your body, like the physical sensation of what that feels like. But also it's going to be harder to kind of move on from it. So I see a lot of anxiety that's really really present. Overwhelm, obviously we've talked about that. And then a lot of shame and like repressed anger because of the challenge that you face. And like, you're already being told that you're too sensitive. And naturally as women, we're not encouraged to express anger either, like even in general. So even less, if we're being told you're too sensitive, you need to settle down. You need to like stop being such you know, so dramatic and whatever people say to you. So a lot of repressed anger is also something I see a lot. Yeah, that's interesting. So it sounds like there could be a lot of emotions interweaved in there from childhood too. And exactly. Anything you haven't expressed and is like has built up over time. Yeah. And I wonder too, if, if it's a lot with difficulty accepting yourself as highly sensitive, do you notice that with the women you work with? Yeah. I mean, it's a vicious cycle, right? Like the more it's like the repression we were talking about, the more you're told that something is wrong with you, the more you repress your emotions, the more you repress your emotions, the more you feel out of control when they finally come up to the surface because you can't hold them back. So that adds definitely to shame, to self-rejection, to self-abandonment, because you're trying constantly to be someone you're not. And just that adds like that extra stress and pressure because you're always on high alert to make sure that you're like acting in a way that is deemed appropriate by the people around you. So I imagine once people learn to embrace it, that they're going to feel more of that inner peace too. Exactly. And be able to accommodate themselves for, okay, well, I'm highly sensitive. So I might have to, you know, put headphones on if it's too loud or, or do these other practices. Exactly. The more you know about yourself and the more you can embrace those needs, right? It's about like understanding what you need and giving that to yourself instead of pretending they don't exist and trying to fit into a mold that is not for you. The more you embrace what you need and you support your sensitivity instead of like fighting against it, naturally you're going to become less sensitive. Like there's this like conundrum because you're trying to stop being sensitive and forcing against it. But as you embrace it, you already remove the layer of I'm creating stress for me to fit in and to be a certain way. And then on top of it, by just meeting those needs, you support your sensitivity. So with your example, if you go to a crowded space and you put earplugs or noise canceling headphones, you're going to stay in your window of tolerance longer, right? You're not going to get overwhelmed as quickly or at all. 
if this is a trick that works for you. And so you're not going to be reactive and you might not go in overwhelm and you might not go into shame. So it's like you're slowing down that rhythm just by knowing, okay, I know I'm sensitive. I'm going to a party. It's a crowded space. There's going to be a lot of music, a lot of people, some flashing bright lights. I'm going to put earplugs in and I'm going to go for a shorter amount. I'm still going to go, but after two hours, I might have enough. And when I feel that I have enough, I will leave. And that's it. And that's right. So like, and that's okay. Yeah. There's, you know, I don't have to, to do what other people are doing. So as soon as you give yourself that permission and you embrace what you need, it's naturally becoming more easy. Yeah. I would imagine it when you're embracing, you're fully embodying that and just saying, this is who I am and it's okay. And that self-talk I'm sure is an important part of this as well. Absolutely. So what are some holistic practices that can help those who are highly sensitive? So I think when we look at it holistically, we have to look at our thoughts. We have to look at our feelings and we have to look at our nervous system. And that's going to like kind of include different levels. And then depending on your also, like within my own practice, I would include spiritual practices as well as support. So you really touch kind of all the areas. Uh, But if you start with your mind, practices that will support you understanding your train of thought and how you create your emotional response, right? So I believe that our thoughts leads to our feelings. And there's so much automation in there that if we're not aware of what you're thinking, then you don't understand why you're feeling a certain way. And it's coming as a surprise where if you start to understand your thoughts, then you can kind of see things coming. You're like, oh, like this is what I'm feeling because I've been thinking about this. So an example would be all of a sudden you're feeling kind of angry and you're like, why am I feeling angry? Oh, I was just thinking that he doesn't care about me because he said some words. But I made up the story in my head that because he said those words, he obviously doesn't care about me. Right. And the anger comes from the thought he doesn't care about me. So I teach this journaling practice that is about kind of deconstructing what happens called a thought protocol, which you do like a brain dump of like the situation. And then you extrapolate in one sentence, what's the context, what the circumstance of the situation as neutral as possible. In this case, like he said words, he said something. And then what's the thought that you created in your head from there? In this example, it was, he doesn't care about me. What's the feeling that comes from that thought? Maybe you felt hurt, you felt angry, you felt unseen, like whatever it was in your experience. And then from there over time, we can then look at like, what's the action I take when I feel this emotion? And what's the result I get when I take this action? So you have like a really clear pattern of like, how do you act and react in the world? So that is one practice that I teach for managing your thoughts. And then you have to continue into the body when you know that the emotions you're experiencing are energy and motion that are just wanting to be, you know, expressed, then holistic practice would include like you have to stop repressing your feeling and learn to express them in a way that feels safe and comfortable for you. Now, that's a whole kind of beast on its own because just feeling can be overwhelming for sensitive women. So you need to kind of create safety from within first. So you might have practices to create safety. I love some grounding practices, some mindfulness practices to reconnect to your body, to reconnect to your environment, maybe orienting practices. I don't know if your listeners know what those are. I do, but can you you share with my listeners? 
So an orienting practice is kind of to help you move from your environment to your body. And so it's taking inventory of your environment as a way to be like, okay, I am here and now. So one way to do that would be to look around the room and name five things that are blue, name five things that are square, name five things, right? So like you're bringing yourself back into the moment and you're like, okay, there's this, 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 this. And it's kind of getting you out of the spiraling of your experience. So this is the way of doing it. Another way is through your senses to really bring it closer to you. Could be like five things you see, four things you hear, three things you touch, two things you smell, one thing you taste. Right. So you like bring it back into more subtle into you, into yourself. And then it's like helping you reconnect to your body. And you're like, okay, like when you're at the point of like, what does it taste in my mouth? Although I don't have food, right. Can I taste my breakfast? Can I taste toothpaste? Can I taste coffee? Is there a taste to my like saliva? Can I, right. So like you're really narrowing your focus and attention, which will help you get calm and then move along into what else you need to do, like to create that safety for you to feel reconnecting to your body is an important step. So those are two examples of orienting practices that you can do to create safety. Once you feel safe, then giving yourself permission to feel is kind of the next step in that holistic approach. And that will come also kind of in different ways, because I don't think we're, we're really taught how to feel our feelings. Like it's not something that we really know, like even what that means right? Like if I tell you, like, can you channel sadness and, you know, let yourself feel sadness? Most people are like, well, especially if you come from a house growing up that you were like my family, we never talked about feelings or emotions. So, so most people I think don't get that at home and it's not role modeled. Exactly. Exactly. So a lot of what I teach is around that, like modeling, what does it mean like to express, to feel, to express, and then to not get stuck in those emotions, right? Because oftentimes when we're sensitive and we tend to be reactive, we think if I let myself cry, I will never stop. If I let myself get angry, I'm going to become the Hulk, right? There's a If I let myself, there's going to be a negative consequence because we're not accustomed to healthy emotional expression. Like we don't know what that looks like. So for me, I like to start energetically and kind of get out of the head and help people reconnect to their body in the sense of like, there's no good or bad emotions. Emotions are just a movement of vibration of energy in your body. So meeting that energy for what it is. So let's say you are feeling anxiety. That's an example you brought up earlier. If you're feeling anxiety, we often think I need to calm myself down. But actually, this is not super helpful because you're feeling anxiety right now. If you're just shifting into the other, if the opposite, you're kind of telling your body and your system that anxiety is not okay and anxiety is not welcome and anxiety needs to be fixed. So there's kind of a first step that I teach people and is to just be with what you're feeling. You don't have to do anything about it. You have to witness your experience. Just sit with it. Be like, okay. I have a flutter in my chest. I feel really warm. I feel agitated. I think this is anxiety. Like, can I feel the physical sensations that relate to anxiety instead of, oh my God, I'm anxious. I need to fix this right now. Does it make it a threat more to your nervous system too? If you're just like, oh my God, this is anxiety and I don't want it here. Exactly. Exactly. You're telling your nervous system, we have a problem and I need to fight 
this emotion. So you're adding a layer of stress to your system if you're trying to quote unquote fix what you're feeling because you have the thought that this emotion is not okay, right? So again, it comes back to like the stories we tell ourselves. So learning to sit with your emotions eventually is really calming for your system because you feel seen, you feel accepted, you feel like who you are is okay. Again, we're coming back to accepting ourselves and our experience of the world. And so energetically and physically, you can do a lot of different things. I like to go at this with movement, with breath, with voice that will match the energy of anxiety in this example, right? So if you're feeling really anxious, I would encourage a client to do something physical that resembles that energy of agitation. So it might be a really quick practice movement, short, like something, maybe you go for a run, if that's something you enjoy, or you do a really fast kind of vinyasa flow for a few minutes, like a few sun salutes, like quite rapidly. If you do a breath, you might do like a breath of fire or a bellows breath, which are breath that are a rhythm that are quite fast, right? So a breath of fire would sound like this. <laughs> not coming, right? But if you do that first, you're meeting yourself where you are. You're meeting that energy. You're letting that energy be expressed through your body. Then you can shift into something that's calming or whatever the opposite would be. But first you have to start there, right? So you meet yourself where you are in that energy, you express that energy, and then you call in the opposite because we don't either want to stay stuck and kind of spiral out in that anxiety. We just want to let it be expressed and then we move on. And then we bring practices that are calming. Now that can look so many different ways, right? Again, it could be a very slow movement this time. It could be more of like just a resting practice, maybe a yoga nidra or some restorative yoga. Maybe it's just cuddles with someone you love. Like this is so good for your nervous system, right? There's so many ways that you can approach this relaxation state and then we get grounded. So that's kind of the emotional side of it. We have the thought, we have the emotion. And then when it comes to the nervous system, any regulation practices that will help that window of tolerance grow over time, that will help you move in and out more efficiently, that will help you spend more time into the optimal state where you are feeling able to rest, able to digest, able to, you know, have libido, have interest, connect with other trust, open hearted. Like when you're in that uh, vagal state over time, that creates like a whole platform to support you. So those are really like the three aspects that I teach. And then I would add, depending on desire and openness of people, some spiritual practices as well. So that's for me, it's like the whole holistic approach. Can you talk about the spiritual part? Yeah. Um, for me, spiritual practices within my yoga background, it's a lot of chanting, uh, a lot of mantra chanting, meditation practices, and a lot of practices that are connected to like the things you don't see, if that makes sense. So I've experienced once I had like healed or got my overwhelming control in my life, like on this 3D plane <laughs> reality, I noticed that in my spiritual practices, I would feel some overwhelm and I would feel some out of control because of all the unknown, because of all the, you can't see, you can't touch, you don't know, like there's a lot of faith, a lot of trust, a lot of just go for it and see what happens kind of thing. Right. And so working on that level of like, 
Can I do practices that I see a result, even if I don't understand why it's working? Can I do practices that affect my connection to something greater, something that I don't see. So it's not only like connecting to my own body, my own self, getting grounded to the earth, but can I also learn to trust and to surrender and to let go? And that for me comes through connecting to something greater than you, connecting to a power, whatever that word is for you, it doesn't have to be God. And spirituality is not about like the religious aspect of it. And we don't think that God is like one person in the sky. It's about maybe for you connecting to angelic beings or connected to ascending masters or connecting to just the energy of what is divine, what is sacred, what, you know, so there's so many ways, like depending on your beliefs and what you're willing to try. But in my own practices, there's definitely a lot of chanting. This is a way that you show devotion, that you connect to a God figure that you kind of bow to something bigger than you. Yeah. I've been practicing more chanting too. You know, I, I kind of shied away from it initially with my yoga practice. It just felt weird. I'm just going to say it uncomfortable, yeah, for but sure. and I think it is. Most people are not used to doing some 100%. kind of chanting or doing the ohms at the end of a yoga class. I'd be like, Oh my God, why are we doing this? But now that I started to do it more, it feels more comfortable. And I think that if therapists listening ever want to do it with clients, if they're open to it, that there are some amazing benefits. I think it gives a connection to the other person too, from what I felt like in a yoga class, if we do, let's just say like three ohms, it's like, I don't know, it kind of brings like a divine presence. I can't explain it. It's just that sensation. There's a few things in my opinion is that I think expressing through your voice like, okay, from a nervous system perspective, when you vibrate your soft palate, it's calming for your nervous system. So vibrating your soft palate and the sound ohm is exactly that. If you think of the letter M, the mm, there's that vibration in the back of your throat, in the upper back of your throat. That alone sends the signal to the base of you know, your brain to shift yourself into a more relaxed state. So just that, and if you're not comfortable with any chant that might seem spiritual or religious, you could do the letter M and you could inhale and exhale on mm, and you just do a few rounds of breath like that. And you're going to feel the shift, the kind of sigh of your body at the end of that. So it doesn't have to be if you're feeling weird about it, if you're not feeling like connected to what it means and it doesn't feel authentic to you at this point, go with the letter M or go with the sound of shushing a baby that's crying. You inhale and you shh. Oh, I like that. And you do that for a minute or two or three, however long, you will feel the difference. You don't need to do that for super long. Just the vibration will do it for you. So there's a lot of sound like that that you can use. I love the M, I love the shush, and I love the V, v like a vowel, like a V word, V sound, right? So those are different. You can play with what feels best. So the vibration already helps your nervous system relax. Then when you come and you connect with someone with your voice, when you match that vibration of energy together, you co-regulate between each other. So you support yourself in relaxation. So the more people that are around you doing the same chant, not only is the vibration of that particular sound enhanced, you are coming together and supporting each other in that rising of your own vibrational pattern. 
Thanks for sharing that. I appreciate that. And and for therapists too that want to use spirituality with clients, I think that you brought up some good points that it doesn't have to be ohm. It could be just, like you said, M, like that sound and, and just try it. I think the whole point of this too is just to experiment to see what feels good in your nervous system. And then if you're working with clients too, just offering it as an option, right? And and just seeing what works for them. But the more we practice these skills, the more it's going to help with that nervous system regulation. And hopefully then you can find something that you need that you can kind of connect with. And Yeah. And when you start with something as simple as the letter M and you bring that in your life, you could do it in traffic. You can do it kind of silently when you're working, you're waiting in line at the store. It could be like, no one's going to hear it around the rumble of the room. You know what I mean? So you can bring those tiny little practices for any moment in your life where you're feeling a little like, oh, this is a lot right now. Like traffic is a good example, right? Or you're in a meeting on Zoom, you can mute yourself and do a few rounds of, "Mm, no one's going to know, but it's helping you stay present. It's helping you stay open-minded. It's helping you stay mentally like able to process the information. So learning those little techniques, once you see the impact it has on you, you might be open to like, what else is there? Like, what's the difference now if I do OM? Because OM on its own, it has a meaning. It has, right? Like we're adding an extra layer. There's not only the vibrational and the vibrational aspect in the throat, but then there's like, what does this word represents. And as I'm making the sound, what's the energy I'm calling in? And this is what you were mentioning in yoga class, like OM is about connection. It's about unity. It's about becoming one and not being separate. So it's so interesting that you brought, like I felt that connection with other people. This is the goal of the sound of those two letters together, those three letters together. Traditionally, it's an A-U-M. So those that bringing in is the intention behind the sound on top of it. So what's the best way for listeners to connect with you so they can learn more about you? So they can go to my website. Everything that I do is there, which is ericabelanger.com. And on social media, Instagram is where I am present and active. I'm pretty much there every day. So it's really quick and easy to send me a DM and chat with me from there. And as you mentioned, they could go and do the quiz if they want to know how sensitive they are. They might think like, well, maybe I'm a little, like you were saying, like in some aspects I am and in some others I'm not. And from there, they will receive practices according to their level of sensitivity. So it's a good way to start working with me for free because you will receive practices in your inbox from there. And then if they feel like they want to work further, I have group coachings, but now we're in the middle of one or we've started one recently. But there's always one-on-one in the meantime until the next round comes along. But there's a lot of stuff already on my website, on Instagram for them to... And she has a wonderful podcast too. Yes. That you yes. must check so the out. podcast is On and Off Your Mat podcast. It's a mix of solo episode that I do by myself to teach about these things and interviews with yoga teachers, coaches, and spiritual leaders for any other aspect that I feel they have expertise in and I want to showcase their, their work. And I've had you, Chris, on. So if people want to come and listen to your episode, we talked about yoga for depression. So yeah, there's a lot of good stuff on there. There's 170 something episodes. So there's definitely a lot of content for them. Yeah. And we'll put all that in the show notes too, in case people thank you. So definitely. But thank you so much for coming on the Holistic Counseling Podcast, Erica. Such a pleasure. Thank you for having me. 
And I appreciate you, listener. And have you found this podcast beneficial? Please spread the word. So share this episode with a colleague who might be interested in holistic counseling. And this can help us to further build our holistic community. And once again, this is Chris McDonald sending each one of you much light and love. Till next time, take care. The information in this podcast is for general educational purposes only and is given with the understanding that neither the host, the publisher, or the guest are giving legal, financial, counseling, or any other kind of professional advice. If you need a professional, please find the right one for you.